apologize. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. I have a plan. You've got a plan. I have part of a plan. It's your weekly dose of all things geeky. Class is pain 101. The instructor's Casey Jones. Movies, comic books, movies based on comic books. Excelsior! Video games, toys, TV shows. Professional wrestling. It's still real to me, damn it! <laughs> All the things you got made fun of for in high school. Come on, you fuckers think that just because a guy reads comics he can't start some shit? So grab your action figures, bag and board your comics, and roll for initiative. It's time to talk nerdy to me. Hello there. It's Obi Jackanova, your favorite host in all of podcastum. Coming to you with an all-new episode that will include audio this week. Sorry about that, kids. Uh, <laughs> I'm Tot32 Electric Boogaloo. Joining me, as always, my stalwart right-hand companion, the Sancho Panza to my Don Quixote, the man who keeps the nerd and Tot Nerdy to me, Commander Scott. So speaking of nerd stuffs, I've got something for you this week. We do speak of nerd stuff quite often. We do speak of nerd stuff, but I got something for you this week. Okay. Uh, I, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole. Oh boy! On, on, on nerd facts. So that I'm is going to be the name of your spinoff. Down the rabbit hole. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to bear with me on this here, real quick. Oh boy! Strap in, kids. Here we so, go. I know, I know, but trust me, it's you'll like it at least. Well, I don't know if you'll like it. it it's kind of a mixed bag of worms for me um so i'm gonna ask you a question how many states of matter are there solid liquid gas and plasma okay okay that that's good most most people forget about plasma those are the those are the four uh fundamental states of of matter um that uh can be uh, readily observed in the natural world there are many more, um, uh, such as like uh, like there's subcategories too within the classical states. Um, it, looking at solid, you've got uh, amorphous solid, crystalline solids, plastic crystals, quasi crystals, things of that nature. Yeah, okay. yeah, firm, runny. Get the Pepto. Gotcha. I, okay, sure, um, but. Um, there's also exotic states of matter, um, which you know, supercritical fluids, uh, uh, I, I don't know, superfluids, supersolids, superconductivities, uh, quantum spin liquids, things of this nature. Okay? Uh, you said exotic. No, no, no. no, no I thought no, you meant no. like topless. No, 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 no. Never mind. Okay. No. So um, I found out today that there is a new state of matter that was first proposed in 2012. Uh, and, um, Joe exotic, no, not Joe exotic. Okay. Uh, first proposed in 2012 and actually finally observed in 2017. So in a crystalline solid, you, you have a, a repeating structure. Okay. Um, that is, um, um, it repeats throughout the structure in, in three dimensions of space, but it always stays the same. Okay. 
it's always rigid. It's, it's always that structure does not change. However, this new state of matter, which came into existence in 2017, is known as a time crystal. It is a crystalline structure that repeats in time as well as space, which means from one moment to the next, its crystalline structure does change and it does follow a, uh, uh, a, a, a predictive pattern, a repeating pattern. Um, so as much as I hate time crystals in Star Trek Discovery, because I attributed it to lazy writing and not no basis in science, I now have to somewhat eat those words because apparently there is a such a thing as a time crystal, even though its behavior actually has nothing to do with right now, but it's very, you know, very young. We haven't done much with them, but it uh, doesn't have anything Scott. to do with manipulating the space-time continuum. But a time crystal does exist. Scott. Yes. One, how dare you? <laughs> Two, time crystal is still absolutely lazy fucking writing. <laughs> yes. And but it's let, real. Me know, let me know when they discover the Zeo crystal, yeah. uh, and then I'll get excited. Anyway, yeah, my uh, my 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 geek nerd self discovered that today, and I'm like, holy shit! I did not realize this was actually a thing. Look, just because it has a basis in reality doesn't mean it's not bad writing, because <laughs> it is. So, well, thank anyway. you for for flexing your nerdiness. Uh, in case anyone dared to question it, there you go. I tried. We spent the first three minutes of the show talking about time crystals the real life the real life time, time crystals, crystals yes mm-hmm. well uh if you're still awake uh, and with <laughs> us <laughs> the actual show is about to begin before we kick off our topics this week which i'm actually really excited about we got some fun ones coming up i wanted to start with a bit of news um Tying into last week's episode, and first of all, you know, again, apologize. Apparently, last week's episode did not get uploaded properly, so all you could hear was the intro and then an hour and 17 minutes of nothing. Sorry, that is currently being corrected. Uh, is so... that not what we recorded? <laughs> no, we actually recorded dialogue. Well, we I, don't know, oh, okay. I don't know what happened between uploading it, um, converting it, and sending it off to be uploaded somewhere along there. I missed a step, and it didn't, I didn't all get transferred over. But that will be corrected shortly. Um, but, so last week's episode was from the drive-in. It was me and Scott driving back from the, I forgot the name again, uh, the family drive-in. Family <laughs> drive-in, that's all we can remember. I can never remember the full name of it. I'm terrible. Uh, where we went to go see our favorite movie, Ghostbusters, uh, at the drive-in. It was a fun night. It was the first time we got to suit up since like January. So it was very overdue. Uh, but the reason Ghostbusters was being shown was uh, in drive-ins all across the country that weekend, Ghostbusters was reissued to drive-in theaters. Uh, it included a little uh, behind-the-scenes snippet for Ghostbusters Afterlife because it was, you know, that it was supposed to be coming out in two days. It was kind of a big push for that. That's not happening, but they kept the movie out in the driving, which was cool. Um, but as a result of that, and as a result of every non-drive-in theater being closed in the country, Ghostbusters, for the second time in its 36 years, was number one at the box office July 4th weekend 
bringing in just over $550,000. Ghostbusters, 1984. Number one again, baby. uh, It's got to make you proud. Um, You know, I mean. It's always good. I mean, they've re-released that so many times. I wonder if you include in all the re-release how much money that's actually made now. But I thought that was a fun tidbit, and it was some good news. So I wanted to put that out there. It is very good. I like it. But our first actual topic today, because it's just me and Scott, that means we get to seriously nerd out about one of our favorite topics that sadly isn't necessarily shared by everyone else on the show. Board games. Uh, Yay, tabletop gaming. Always trying to find a way to get more board gaming topics in on the show. And since it's just the two of us this week, we're going to go hog wild on it. This is a topic I've been waiting to do for a while. Uh, I think Scott suggested it originally like a month and a half ago, and we're just now getting to it. Uh, But this is our look at games we're excited and we're looking forward to. Games that are kickstarting or kickstarted or uh, about to be pre-ordered or games coming down the pipeline that we're excited about and that we want to share with you. Scott, start us out. Well, I've got, I've got several uh, games that I've kickstarted. I've got um, two. So, uh, well, as far as Kickstarter is concerned, I'm, I'm currently awaiting on, uh, let's see here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Ooh, I was going to say a dozen. Yeah, I got eight pending. Um, one that I'm extremely excited about, and I, I honestly can't remember if I've discussed it on the show or not before, but it's a game called uh, Return to Dark Tower. Um, there's a company, uh, a publishing company called Restoration Games. Uh, I don't know how many have heard of it. Uh, it's a very appropriate name. It is. So uh, what they specialize in uh, is purchasing rights to old board games, games from the 70s, 80s, 90s, that, you know, are, they were popular games, nostalgic games, they have a, a good following, and they revamp them completely. They they upgrade rule sets, they tweak what was wrong with them, they fix this, fix that, upgraded components, keep what was fun about the game, you know, and and, and just try to give it a makeover and bring it back into the modern board gaming world, which is radically different from where it was in the 80s. Very much uh, so. And uh, uh, the, their last big success was a game called uh, Volcano Island. Uh, I didn't get into this because I never played the original Volcano Island, but all the people who did were like head over heels for this game, and it was hugely successful. And so their I next the game, original, I have not gotten my hands on the remake yet. Okay. See, once again, I never played it, so I I don't know much about that game. It was fun. Um, But um, uh, there was a a game in the 80s called The Dark Tower. And this game was very, somewhat revolutionary in its time. No relation to the Stephen King novels? No relation to the Stephen King novels. So it's a round board that's separated into four kingdoms. Uh, and, uh, there, there are four players up to four players and each player has a, has a miniature on the board and you've got troops that you have with you and you've got to keep the troops fed. So you have food for the troops, uh, and everything. And you're basically going around to the four kingdoms and you're trying to find 
the four keys uh, to get into the Dark Tower. So the goal is to be the first player to enter the Dark Tower uh, and defeat the, the evil that's within. And what was revolutionary about this game is the fact that the, the tower itself actually kept track of every player, uh, how much you know armor and stats they had, how much money and food they had, and how many troops they had. And uh, it, it did this through a really interesting mechanical system. So when it was your turn, you told the tower what you wanted to do, that you wanted to move to here, uh, to this building or whatever. And it would turn, it would randomly turn a drum inside the tower. It was a mechanical drum. And then once, once it landed on its, whatever facing it gave you, uh, it would light up with the random event that happened. And it could be combat. It could be, you find something. It could be other things. Uh, and if it was combat, it would, it would tell you, you know, through the standard eighties technology of the time of, you know, beeps and squiggles and things, and then spit out digital numbers, um, uh, how you fared in the fight. You know, it was a high tone. If you won a low tone, if tone, if you lost and, all that good stuff. It was, it's a fun game. Had some drawbacks because one of the outcomes, if you tried to move someplace, one of the random outcomes was you got lost. And if you got lost, you basically had to go back to where you were. And, uh, one of the times that I played the game, I got lost like five turns in a row. It just you know bogged the game right. a bit. So they have restored uh, Dark Tower, and of course, the new one is is called. Return to Dark Tower, and it's all updated technology. Still has a tower in the middle, and the tower still controls everything. But it has all new upgraded technologies uh, and 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 everything. And now, uh, the 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 key thing of the tower, and the one thing that just really interests me is, you have these little miniature skulls that you preload the tower with, and randomly through events, the tower will open different. Uh, oh, openings on the tower, and it will spit random numbers of skulls out into the different kingdoms, and these are like corruptions. It's representing corruption in the land, so the more skulls that are in the land, it does different things. I haven't read through all the rules, because we're still uh, a good six to eight months out from delivery on this game, but it looks phenomenal. The tower looks great, and I'm excited for this game. The artwork is awesome. It's got Upgraded components, cards, magical items, uh, just looks phenomenal. If 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 you've never seen anything from Restoration Games, I highly recommend going and checking this out. It just just looks great, and I can't wait to play it. Well, if it's anything like Volcano Island, it's going to be fantastic. And that, that game, like you said, Volcano Island, when it came out back in the nineties, uh, was a fun gimmicky board game, and they took that and like you like you said, kept everything that was fun and iconic but completely overhauled it for modern gaming so dark tower sounds awesome it is um D the... being dm'd by a, a randomizing computer which sounds interesting yeah, yeah it has a i think it also has a an app tie-in too uh nice so yeah you can do things from your phone uh that interacts with the tower and, and everything looks looks quite interesting um uh, I just completely forgot what I was going to say right there. <laughs> Fun. 
so now this was Kickstarted. It, yes. Can people still get in on the Kickstarter or is that done? The Kickstarter's done. The Kickstarter's okay. Kickstarter funded in February of this year. Okay. Um that being said, uh Restoration Games always does carry, you know, their their things to uh retail, so it will be available on shelves probably early 2021 if I if I have my guess. I don't know if they have a a, a late pledge like a where you can still hop on board before fulfillment right. or not. Um, but I'm sure it's on the page. Uh, and uh, if you get a chance, check out, you know, their, their YouTube channel and stuff. Cause they have a lot of really good things. In fact, they did a, uh, they did a full like two hour playthrough uh, on one of the, with one of the, one of the prototypes on uh, the dice tower. So, okay. Yeah, it was it was really good. Uh, they got a lot of uh, nice videos on like the insides and the development of the tower because they brought in uh, electrical and mechanical engineers to design this new tower uh, and everything. So a lot of work went into this tower. Sweet. Yeah. Well, hell yeah. I'm uh, I'm definitely looking forward to that one uh, to be uh, to be delivered. Definitely looking forward to it. Cool, Go cool. check it out. Uh, well, my first one is also a Kickstarter um, that is now over uh, and did get its funding. Uh, this is not a new game. This is more some add-ons to a game I am currently in love with. Uh, that game being Zombicide Invader, which is the science fiction version of the very popular Zombicide game. Uh, you fight crazy aliens on an outpost in outer space with dozens and dozens of playable characters that are the um not they're the copyright safe Kmart version of your favorite science fiction characters, including Scott's new favorite, uh Dr. Falconer. Yes. Stephen Hawking. Sorry. Definitely definitely not Stephen Hawking. Definitely not Stephen Hawking, Dr. <laughs> Falconer. With the awesome tank tread wheelchair of death. Yes. What does that sound like? Oh, I don't have it at I don't have it loaded. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Fine. Um so I, I love this game. I backed it. I backed the civilian set, which gave you a whole bunch of additional playable characters. Um, after the last playthrough, I happened to be at my comic shop, A-plus Comics and Collectibles here in Lexington, and they had the expansion set, which is called the Black Squad or something like that. Um, it's it's six new playable characters and some new add-on villains. Uh, so I went ahead and picked that up, too, because I'm me, because um, I just can't have enough playable characters in this game. So... <laughs> Following all that, I got a notification from Kickstarter saying, hey, you backed this game because I backed on Kickstarter like two years ago when it first uh, was announced. And it said, here's something you might be interested in. Well, the company partnered with a comic book publisher and did a Kickstarter for, this is really awesome, <coughs> Excuse me. a series of three graphic novels based on games owned by this company. Uh, they're all between 120 and 130 ish pages. Uh, there were three games that they were for. One was the regular Zombicide, Zombicide Invader, and a game that I did not know how much I would enjoy because I hadn't played before until last weekend with you, which is uh, Cthulhu Dead May Die. Dead Death May, May Die. Die. Death May Die, yeah. 
uh did not had never played that game but that was one of the the games that the comic was written for and had i ever played that game before i would have backed the the comic for that too because that game was really fun uh so what it is you get a hardcover 130 some page graphic novel set in the world of those games and then because they hit all their stretch goals you'll also get six new playable characters as featured in the comic and uh, I think at least one or two new add-on villain characters also featured in said comic. Uh, and that was 30 bucks for a hardcover graphic novel and uh, six to eight new characters for your game, which is a steal. Uh, and again, if I'd played uh, the Cthulhu game prior to seeing this this um, Kickstarter, I, I would have backed that too, just because it's fun. Um, that is... Sorry, the computer's going dead. Uh, so yeah, I backed that. It's set to be here, I think, February 2021. Mm. Uh, so I'm excited. It was great. And, and I love the idea because part of what I loved about Zombicide Invader is, uh, in all the Zombicide games, really, is they all kind of exist in their own universe and kind of have their own um, flavor to them. And anything that can get me more immersed in, in the gaming universe I'm playing in, I'm all for. So what better way than a graphic novel? And then, hey, all the characters you're reading about in the graphic novel, boom, now they're playable characters. Uh, I thought well, that was awesome. Anytime you have uh, a good um, uh, lore and meta on a game that, that fleshes out the the theme of the game and, and, and what it's about, it actually draws you into the story of a game, I, I think, uh, can only help it. If, if there's good backstory and good meta, I think it uh, it's only a bonus for anything with with when it comes to those you, you gotta love good fluff you gotta love good fluff see that's a much easier way to, that's, that's a less nerdy scott way of saying it <laughs> that's why i'm here uh so that was my first uh the zombicide invader comic slot expansion set uh which i'm eagerly awaiting uh, oh it also features i forgot this uh, i'm looking through my notes um so for the stupid low price of three dollars plus shipping and handling i'm making a hardcover graphic novel Six new playable characters, one new enemy character, the stepmother abomination. The stepmother, stepmother abomination. abomination. Yep. Okay. Because they're fun with their names. Uh, I'm also getting a mini campaign within the larger campaign of Zombicide Invader. Uh, all for that one stupid low price. And again, had I known how much fun Cthulhu was going to be, I would have got ahead and got that now. <clears throat> uh, I don't know if they're going to do. I mean, it's Zombicide, so I assume at some point they might put this out in stores uh, or the the company they partnered with to do the comic might end up doing like a soft cover version out in stores or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know if this will be available outside of the Kickstarter at some point or not. Uh, I imagine at least parts of it will be. But if you haven't played Zombicide Evader, check it out. It's awesome. Uh, yeah, uh, well, uh, Zombicide, and, uh, Zombicide for the comic. in general is, is just a really, really fun game. Um, I've, I've got, I think I still have a copy of the original game, um, played it, you know, many times over the years. Um, uh, and then I bought a copy of Zombicide Black Plague when it came out, which is basically the same game, but in medieval times with a little bit of a, a fantasy flair to it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then of course you got the invader one, which is set in the far future. So you've got, um, guns and aliens and 
and and and all that good stuff, but with the same basic core rule set, which is just a really solid rule set. Yes. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's it's a six player co op game, um, kind of loot and shoot. Uh, you've got a bunch of different scenarios. Um, you, you level your characters up as you play. It has my favorite feature, which is a dashboard for your character. So your character card with all your stats is in the middle. You've got spaces for all the gear you can carry. You've got markers for your XP, your current abilities. And um, I love games like that. I love games that have cool minis. And good lord, does this game have a ton of cool minis. <clears throat> but the dashboard is what really uh, sells me on on the Zombicide games. Is It's a very, very simple thing. But when I have all my cards, all my gear, all my stats in one clear, concise little tray right in front of me, they explain that much more enjoyable. I think that's, that's the way Scott Cox loves a well-written index. <laughs> I love a well-thought-out player dashboard. Who doesn't love a well, you know, well-written index? I mean, it's it's like the spice of life. Like I will continue to give you crap about your thing with an index. That being said, I fully understand it now. <laughs> I'm gonna take to... back some of the things I said about you. Yep, you're uh, trying to learn how to play a new game, and you got to look up something. That's when you look for an index, and if it's yep. not there, you're like, "Damn oh, it!" God. Here we go. Yeah, let's go through the whole damn book. Yep. Looking at you, Star Trek Ascendancy. Yeah, that's a as much as I love that game, that is not the best written rule book. It's it's hard to find anything in that one. Eventually I will do a whole show on nothing but rule books. <laughs> and every one of you will love it. It'll be an awesome show. So what else is coming on the pipeline, Scotty? Uh I got another one uh that I'm really looking forward to coming out. Um it's called Tiny Epic Pirates. Ooh. Yeah. Um, in all honesty, I kind of forget the name. Oh, Mayfair. Is it Mayfair Games? Uh, I'm honestly not sure. But if you look up Tiny Epic Games, you will find them. Um, but because uh, all of their all of their games are um, really um, Tiny Epic something. Uh, mm-hmm. Tiny Epic Galaxies, Tiny Epic Western, Tiny Epic Pirates, of course, is coming out. Uh, Tiny Epic Mechs, blah blah blah. All of these boxes—they're all the same size box. They—they they fit in a box which is, uh, I think, like three inches by five inches by two inches, or, or, or something. So it's a really small box, but they cram a lot of gameplay into these boxes. They—they are just really, really fun games. I highly recommend any of them uh to play but this one drew me in on a couple of different levels uh one is um first of all i love anything that has to do with um uh westerns i love western mm-hmm. flavor stuff anything that has dwarves in it i love <laughs> love me some fantasy dwarves they're great um and a lot of people think that I like anything to do with pirates. That's not entirely true. I like pirates, don't get me wrong. But really, I like anything that takes place during the age of fighting sail. Uh, so anything with square rigged ships. Uh, it can it can have anything to do with pirates all the way up to uh, the naval war of the Napoleonic era. And all the way up to and including the War of 1812. Um 
but uh uh so so that drew me in first and foremost tiny epic pirates i'm like okay let's take a look uh you know i'm already in at this point and so i started looking at the the videos and 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 the gameplay and i read through the the rules that they they let you download and stuff and this one not only had you know some great thematic uh abilities where you can there's there's a merchant ship that goes back and forth across the world you can you can raid merchant ships and plunder them but you can also uh raid and attack and plunder other players uh ships and stuff as well you just do all kinds of really cool piratey stuff um but uh the uh the mechanic in the game for actions stuck with me on this one. So each player has a, has a dashboard. It looks like, um, and on this dashboard is a, is a ship's wheel. And the, the, I guess for lack of a better term, the interstitial spaces between the spindles on the, the ship's wheel, uh, those pie shaped spaces, um, is where you put your action tokens. And so everybody gets to take their action tokens and they shuffle them face down and they place them around their wheel and then you flip them up. So your your action wheel is is randomized each turn. And you have a captain's token. And each turn you have to decide what action you want to take. And you do this by moving to the space on the ship's wheel. Um now you can always move to the next space for free. So the next one in line, you can always take that action. But if you don't want to take that action, if you want to take another action on the wheel, you have to have enough deck hands that you can place on the subsequent, the intervening spaces to skip those spaces. Okay. You can never, you can never take the same action twice. So you can, even if you have enough deck hands to go all the way around the wheel, you can't do that. So you'll have to take at least one more action before you can do it. And and that mechanic uh just just really kind of kind of pulled me in. I said, Yep, yeah, I like it. Let's 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 do it. I love that. Uh I've not played it of course, it's not out, but uh but it just looks great. So yeah, and of course everything yeah, you know, like I said, all the tropes that you you'll you'll find in, in pirates seem to be in this uh everything from an old video game if people ever played it called Sid Meier's Pirates, which is probably one of the, the best pirate video games that was ever made. But you know, plundering, treasure hunting, burying treasure, uh kidnapping governor's daughters, things of that nature. So uh, yes. Ten. Yeah, cool. <laughs> the Tiny Epic series is fun. Uh I look forward to playing Tiny Epic Pirates with you, Scott. I think we played Tiny Epic Western and you know, I thought we played the second one, maybe not. But Tiny Epic's always fun. Uh especially for like you said, for for a three by five box. They cram a lot into it. Yeah, so. and I think all their price their price point is always around like thirty, thirty five dollars. So they are very yeah. affordable games. Uh, a lot of gameplay uh for what you get. They are well worth uh, you know, look into them. Go find their website. Get you know whatever genre you like. They've they've got a tiny epic for it so far. So pretty much. Well, I think you know what my next one's going to be. Uh, it's a game I've been looking forward to since I was horribly horribly teased uh, two years ago, three years ago at this point at Gen Con. Our old buddies 
at Gale Force Nine. Uh, <laughs> fine, fine gaming company. Uh, makers of Star Trek Ascendancy, which we love, and Doctor Who Time of the Daleks, which is a fun game if you're a Doctor Who fan. <clears throat> and Spartacus, which I own but I've never played. Uh, finally, finally, set a date for Aliens, another glorious day in the core. Uh, the game they have been teasing and holding over my head uh, for years now. It is a, uh, I think, two to four player um, co op game where you play as characters from the movie Aliens. On the colony on LV426, fighting xenomorphs. Uh, sounds very much like Zombicide Invader, and I'm fine with that. I have my niche. Uh, just like Scott likes his fighting sale, I like my alien clones. Uh, this is not the clone, though. This is a full-on licensed by Fox Aliens game. I think that might be part of why this got held up for so long with the Fox buyout and all that kind of stuff that happened last year. Uh, rights may have gotten put in limbo, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but... October 2020, Aliens is a glorious day in the core. The core game uh, will be released. And then there are two expansions that will be coming out, quote, late 2020. I thought October was already kind of late in 2020, but apparently not. (laughs) Uh, Those expansions are the Ultimate Badasses and Get Away From Her, You Bitch expansions. Uh, Ultimate Badasses adds more characters and I think a new Xeno class. And then Get Away From Her, You Bitch adds the power loader and the queen to the game. You can go to their website, Guild Force nine right now and pre-order all of them free shipping from the website. Uh, they are 60 for the core game, uh, 60 for ultimate badasses and 30 for get away from her. You bitch. So grand total, you're looking at 150 bucks for the core game and both expansions. I've already pre-ordered it. <laughs> Don't tell Whitney. So um, yeah. So, so Gale force nine, is is a really great game publishing company. They do they do good quality work. Yes. And over the years they they really have kind of mastered the uh the licensed theme game. Uh cuz uh, I've yet to see a, a, a quote a fully bad game come out of them I, I, that I'm aware of. But I've only played like a handful. That being said, add about 6 months to those dates. <laughs> Shut up, Scott. <laughs> Gale Force 9 is, has a horrible track record for actually releasing stuff on time. You know this as well as I. And they have one of the, I'm sorry, Gale Force 9, if you all listen, and I know you listen all the time. Uh, they have the most horrible customer relations ever. <laughs> it's literally one girl, and she never answers her phone. Oh. Never. I've talked to her on many occasions. I always, <laughs> I'll bet you have. I have because I always, <laughs> like, when I order Star Trek Ascendancy stuff, I always have to call them, and and be, because it never ships. And the reason it never ships is because even though their their phone number and their their headquarters are based somewhere here in the states, and I'm not entirely certain where, they're actually owned by a parent company out of New Zealand. So when you put in your card, or at least when it happens to me, when I put in my card, the charge comes through from New Zealand and my bank declines it. Ah. And so I really, when I order something, I constantly try to get their, their, you know, stuff on the phone. So this lady on the phone, so I can say, you know, Hey, I I need this to be processed quickly because I've opened up, I've called my bank and I've told them to open it up 
you know, but it's only going to be like 48 hours and I can never get her or anyone else who actually knows anything on the phone in time. And it takes me like two weeks to finally get stuff paid and processed and shipped. Um, She's a wonderful, she's a nice lady when you finally do get to talk to her. Uh, When you get her voicemail, and you will, um, she will never call you back. Um, At least half a dozen uh, other times before she answers the phone, other people will answer the phone, only to tell you that they're not the customer service person, and she's away from her desk, and they will have her call you. They won't ever call you. (laughs) It's a lie. Like the cake. So, once again, great products. Pain in the ass to get them from them. Yes. Now, I will say this. Again, of the games from Gale Forest 9 that I have played, uh, because I own three of them. I've played two of them. (laughs) Um, And that's not to say anything against Spartacus. We never get around to playing it. Um, They're fantastic. And I know, especially like with Ascendancy uh, and with uh, Doctor Who, the expansions took a very long time to actually hit shelves. That being said, so far, everything I've played from them, delays aside, have all been worth the wait. So yeah. they've, been, they've been teasing this game for at least two years, probably going on three years now. So I remember seeing uh, like art mock-ups of the game box and stuff, and then... Year before last, there were um, minis, not the final version, but like, oh, sorry, prototype minis for all the characters because I got super excited thinking, oh my god, is it coming out? Uh, so they've been slowly, and then, and then the most frustrating thing the last several months, they had this campaign on their social media and on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram where they just kept putting out pictures of minis. And saying, subscribe to our newsletter to find out more. Subscribe to our newsletter to find out more. They just kept putting <laughs> out pictures of stuff. And every, the, 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 the top like 50 comments every time were, is there an announcement coming? Are you going to announce something? Did I miss the date? Did I miss the, the Kickstarter? When is this kind of like, all it would say is, here's a picture of a mini and sign up for our newsletter. And it was pissing people off. They finally put out a statement. That was maybe my favorite statement of all time. It was a statement to say we can't say anything. Very nicely worded three paragraph statement <laughs> to say we can't say anything. Uh, and then just I think it was last week uh, they finally put a date to this stuff and opened up on their website. If you go to Gale Force Nine's website now, there's actually a tab that says Aliens Glorious Day in the Core. Um, it's on the website. You can go there and pre-order uh, the core game and both expansion sets right now. So there's progress finally. And again, I think some of that probably had to do with, with the, the Fox Disney merger um, and, and rights kind of being in limbo while that was all getting worked through. So that may have delayed it. Um, but whatever, we have a date. They've got my money. We're one step further in the waiting for Gale Force 9 process. Uh, and what so a wonderful this- process it is, too. Hopefully this time next year we'll be talking about how much we love Aliens, Glorious Day in the Core. Yep. One can only hope. Fingers crossed. No, the, everything they put out looks great. The minis look cool, very detailed. Um, I talked to someone year before last when we were at Gen Con. I mean, it was last year. 
We didn't go last year. Year before last, we yes. were at Gen Con, talked to a guy who said they were still play testing it, and he'd he'd play test the latest version, uh, like a couple days before they came to Gen Con, and that it was really fun, and they were working on balancing the mechanics. Um, oh, one of the expansions lets you play as the Xenos, which I thought was really interesting. Interesting, yeah. Um, so it looks awesome. Again, I am a sucker. I, I love any game that has cool minis and lots of combat, and they are combining cool minis combat and uh, co-op hopefully some kind of cool dashboard uh and my you know second favorite movie franchise of all time aliens so they had my money from the minute they picked up this license because i like gale force 9 uh again i've yet to play a bad you know unfun product from them um so just 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 send me the game gale force 9 i know you're listening Send us an early advance copy and we'll give you a full-on review. Um, glowing review uh, of how great the game is and how much we love it. Just go ahead and ship it to us right now. Yeah, let's see if that happens. <laughs> yeah, I can hope. <laughs> All right, what else you got, Scott? What other games are coming down the pipeline? Well, this one, this was actually not, wasn't entirely for me. Because, you know, I, I know how much you love games with cool miniatures. I Lots do. of miniatures and stuff. Yeah. So I saw this game and I immediately thought of you. Uh, it's a card drafting game. It has no miniatures. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I did. I kickstarted this one a while back. Uh, uh, and, but uh, I got so excited. I, I think I ordered me a copy as well when the pledge minister closed. Um, but I got you a copy. Um, hopefully it'll be here at the end of this year. Uh, it's called That's a Wrap. Um, it is, as I said, it's a card drafting dice rolling movie making game for two to five players. So each player takes on the role of a movie director, uh, hired at a major movie studio. Your job includes choosing your own genres, bidding on scripts, hiring talented actors, and using your newfound influence to make the most profitable and award winning movies possible. Um, and I'm, I'm looking at their, their, their blurb here on the, on on their campaign. Um, it says, uh, but if you read the fine print, you'll notice at the end of your contract, only the director that brings back the most OSCE awards will get to keep their job. So, uh, the, the player who wins the most OSCE awards, uh, at the end will, will win it says you'll have to be smart a little lucky and just a bit cutthroat uh in this job you're expected to navigate studio meddling beat your fellow directors and take home those oskies uh looks fun it's just a, it's just it's a small game it's it's not anything major it's got some decent artwork uh i don't think it's from a major publisher i think this is actually fully independent but um but it's been you know reviewed by the the dark the, the dice tower uh and everything um, and it, it looks great. It's got you know uh, card drafting where you get cards to 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 make your movie uh, and everything for each element. You also have cards that are you know that you can use to uh, screw your buddy, like it says, such as uh, studio meddling stuff like that. And then you once everything's done, then you release it to theaters and you you see how much money it makes. And and then you have the Oski ceremonies where uh, you see how many Oskis it wins and stuff. So. 
Uh, it says it features over a hundred entirely original, diverse, and beautiful illustrations, as well as over fifty thousand possible film combinations. Uh, uh, horror movie with a courtroom script starring a child actor? Yes, please. <laughs> so, you know, okay, everything is unique. But uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm. Even though I got this, I got this for you uh, as. I don't know what the hell I got it for you for, but you know, I did. So, because um, you love me, but, but, but that's a theory. We can we can expand <laughs> on that. Um, no, it uh, uh, it made me. I, I was like, yeah, I, uh, I I'm I'm really uh, looking forward to playing this one and stuff. So, hopefully, it will be here at the end of uh, at the end of this year, I believe. So sweet. Yeah. What's it called? That's a wrap. That's a wrap. Good name. Good yep. name. Yep. Yep. Uh, uh, well, okay. I didn't have another one picked, but uh, last weekend we played Cthulhu Death May Die uh, with our friends the Burks. And I'm just going to go ahead and jump in and say that was a really fun game. And if you like Cthulhu mythology and fighting monsters, and again, cool minis uh that game was a lot of fun and we only played one of the campaigns there's a basically a campaign for every like uh, general of cthulhu kind of thing uh including cthulhu himself well you Uh, pick uh so it has episodes yeah yeah and so you pick an episode and then you pick uh a great old one that you throw in and between those two is what builds your card decks for the events that happen and your goals and, and, and all that good stuff. Because unlike most other Cthulhu based games that are out there, and there are several, it's a lot. Um, um, the object of this game is not to stop the old one from being summoned. The object of this game is to get the old one on the board and then disrupt the ritual so that they, are not fully realized in this world. They're not, they haven't attained their full immortal status. They're somewhat depowered and can still be hurt. And then you try to kill them. Basically you have to Arnold Vosloo mummy them. Uh, you get, you, they're already back, but you got to turn them into a mortal. So you can kill them. You got Rick O'Connell. You have to, you have to, you have to Rick O'Connell that bitch. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but yeah, it was fun. It was my first time playing it too. Um, uh, I had a good time with it, partly because I got to play Albert Einstein. Apparently, I have a thing with playing scientists. <laughs> games now. I was uh, Ernest Hemingway, which was fun. Yes, and unfortunately, we did not realize it until after the game was over that together we were Bert and Ernie. Bert and Ernie. Which anytime we play the game together again, we have to continue the adventures of Bert and Ernie. We have to continue Bert and Ernie. Yes, we do. That's fine. Uh, I wish I would have known about that when it was <clears throat> kickstarted because the uh, expansion set Jamie had with all the extra characters, I don't think that's available in stores. Could no. be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's not. <clears throat> no, I don't think it is. And I think both Bert and Ernie were expansion characters. So. Yes. Still fun. I may I may pick it up. Yes, they were. I'll photocopy the cheats. It's fine. That's all right. That happens. <laughs> what or else you got for it? You can always do like I did with Dr. Falconer and get online and buy your own mini. That is true. That is very true. 
So, well, I don't know if I don't know if I've told you about this one or not. There's a there's a game coming out um, that I'm looking forward to uh, coming out of Europe. Actually, Forsage Games, uh, and it's a European company, so I'm not familiar with anything else that they've done. But they they touched on another couple of my my genres that I love. One is anything historical, uh, and uh, two is uh, uh, World War One uh, aerial combat. And they've literally got a game called Age of Dogfights World War One. Um, this does not use actual minis though, which is fine. It actually uses uh, a small hex tile that uh, represents the plane. Gives you all the plane's stats. It's 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 turn rate. Uh, it's climb rate and everything else like and everything. Um, and uh, one thing that, uh, that that intrigued me with this game was that one thing that's very hard to do with tabletop miniatures or representation of anything with uh, uh, aerial dogfighting games is altitude, uh, representing planes at different altitudes. And this game actually uses, uh, so you've got a, uh, a hex base, which is on a hex grid map. Um, and it has a clear stand that comes up, and the plane hex tile snaps onto that. And they have different, different heights of these, going from uh, L1 all the way up to L6, I think. And... Uh, uh, so one of the maneuvers that you can do is you can tilt the plane up to indicate that you're climbing. And then the next thing that you'll do is, is switch out for the next higher tier or tilt it down to indicate you're diving. And you can dive much quicker than you can climb. Uh, it looks like it, it, it incorporates quite a bit of actual uh, physics as much as they can uh, for for this style of game without it becoming a full-fledged historical simulation game, which is a whole different can of worms uh, for gaming, is, is the actual historical simulation. Um, uh, but it takes into account things like uh, like radial engines. Uh, the plane can turn left tighter than it can turn right, because if you're turning right, you're actually fighting against the torque of the engine. Uh for the plane to turn, whereas turning left, you're you're fighting, you're 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 going with the torque of the engine, so you can whip around a lot lot quicker to the left, uh, things of that nature. But uh, fully funded on in uh, June of this year, so uh, I don't look forward anytime soon. Uh, maybe by the end of this year, because I think they actually had everything ready to go uh, as soon as the the Kickstarter funded, but. Uh, I don't know how many people I can con into playing this game with me. Because uh, it becomes well, you know, all niche things. So. <laughs> so. It sounds like that um, Battlestar Galactica dogfighting game you were talking about a while ago. Yes, and I want to get that too. It's been out on the market for a while now. I just haven't got it. Um, I really want to get that. Uh, but every time I look at it, I look at it on Amazon, it's like $60 for the base game. Uh, and the base game comes with uh, two Vipers and two uh, Raiders. Uh, and it's uh, Reboot, uh, Mark II Vipers and uh, Reboot Raiders. So every time I look at it, I'm like, I don't know if I want to spend that much for it. And I always talk myself out of it. But Well, that's fair. 
Uh, speaking of not going to pay that much, um, I found Bert on eBay, but he's in a pack with three other characters, none of whom are Ernie. And uh, see, with the exchange rate, that'd be about 60 bucks from the UK. So, oh, wow, yeah. that's not happening. Yeah, yeah, no, nah, no. Nah. Now, if it was if 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 Bert and Ernie were both in there, I may go has these. With then, yeah, no. It, yeah. If, if that was the case, I'd be sending you a link saying you want to do this. <clears throat> but that's okay. I think we can find them. We we'll get right. to paint it up. There you go. And by we, I mean you. <laughs> Fair enough. If I painted this, be yeah, I spray painted them blue. He's blue now. <laughs> Ernest Hemingway. It's his blue period. Yeah. Uh, well, that's all I've got for games coming out. I'm sure you could do all day. I yeah, I can talk about games coming out all day, uh, and I don't I don't want to bore you with uh, with everything that's that I would really love to play and get. But so we'll we'll save some for for other times. Yeah. Stick and, a feather uh, in the rest of them. We'll uh, we'll yeah. come back to them. Put a pin in it. That's what I meant. I don't know why I said stick a feather. in well, you know, because you were just thinking about uh, the UK, and of course, anytime you think about the UK, of course, you know, Yankee Doodle Dandy comes up, and well, stuck a feather see, in his cap and called it macaroni. I mean, everybody knows that. This is standard thought process. What happened was I watched Hamilton, and uh-huh. that sent me down a rabbit hole. Uh, uh, American Revolution stuff. Yeah. Uh, the other day, I spent my entire day off watching the ten-part History Channel documentary, The Revolution. Oh, nice. All 10 hours of it. Um, that so works. that's on my mind right now. I loved Hamilton. Uh, Nicole and I watched it the other night. We we both enjoyed it. It was it was fun. Uh, As we someone wanna... who typically does not like musicals, I was very... Um, we, uh... You still with me? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. Um... Uh, we have decided we do need to watch it again, though, because the style of music and the cadence and how quickly information was presented to you just, like, hit the ground running. Yep. We weren't ready for it. Nope. And it took us, like, up until he goes, well, after it covers his his early life before we finally kind of started our brains caught up with how information was being presented to us. So we want, we want to go back and watch it again to pick up you know, the early stuff that we, we may have missed. But yeah, It's very dense and it comes at you really fast and it does yeah. not let up. It doesn't. It hits the ground running and it stays that way all the way through. There's not much of a slowdown. Um, that being said, I, I loved the, 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 the set construction. I, I love what they did with that rotating set. Oh yeah. yeah, that whole rotating set to bring turntables. Yeah, the turntable to bring people in and out because they used it. They used it like a camera panning because because you're you you got an audience there and, and and the camera can't pan, so you're panning the people and it works and it works very well. Um, and, well, I'll, I'll uh, say this. I'll jump in. Um, yeah. Since this is the topic now, um, sorry, I was that's <laughs> no, fine. It's fine. I brought it up. It's my fault. I was very impressed by the way this particular version was filmed. Um, yes. Because I was, I was a drama nerd in high school and I attempted to film some productions and it did not turn out anywhere near this awesome. Uh, but I've since found out what the way they did that was they filmed three different performances. 
Yes. One of which was done just for the cameras. Yes, where they so could they do have, close-ups and... Yeah, cameras on stage. Yes. Uh, and then they cut between those three for this particular movie. Uh, that being said, it's still amazing. Uh, there are, like, crane shots and stuff in here. Like, just from a technical level, it's fantastic. It's it's amazing. Yeah. It very much uh, draws you in. Uh, but, yeah, the, the sets were fantastic. And something I didn't notice uh, at all the, when I watched it the first time. Um, from act one to act two, the set actually changes. Um, Does it? Yes. Yeah, so the background of the set is brick walls. And in act one, they're incomplete. Okay. Because the nation is being built. In act mm. two, uh, the walls, and again, watch the background. It's very, very subtle. They don't draw attention to it at all. It just happens. The walls are not fully constructed, but they are higher up than they were during Act One because the nation has grown and is still, you know, still under construction, but has has grown more. Um, Interesting. I did not know. Yeah. Um, one thing that I loved that I have never seen done on a stage production before. I've seen quite a few stage productions. I've not seen. A, I wouldn't say I'm like a connoisseur of stage productions, but I've seen my fair share. But one thing I've never seen on a, on a stage play is that there's a sequence when uh, Hamilton is introduced to his wife uh, or his future wife by her older sister. You know, yeah. the, she, she takes Hamilton over, introduces them, and then she departs the scene. She's still on stage, but she's a, she departs the action. And then we follow Hamilton and Eliza all the way up through their wedding. And then once we get to their wedding, it stops. That doesn't stop, but it resets and we actually backtrack. We flash back and they repeat the scene of them um, being introduced. But then the action and the song, that next song follows the sister. Yep. I've never seen that in a stage play. I have never seen, you know, going back in time, a flashback and then following a different character. That impressed me. I love that. Uh, supposedly, the way the turntable spins is like a clock. Yeah. So it turns different ways at different times. Uh, and in that scene in particular, they were talking to the actors about it, uh, about the blocking and, and getting used to the turntable mm. and stuff like that. And uh, the guy who played was Lafayette. Yes. It's like, yeah, so we get done with this huge figuring out where to be when, how the table moves, what speed to walk at to get on and off the turntable, all this kind of stuff. And then they say, okay, great. Do everything you just did backwards. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. But no, Hamilton's fantastic. Again, and I'm not a big fan of musicals. Uh, I appreciate stagecraft. I appreciate the talent that goes into putting on a musical. I'm tone deaf and can't carry a tune, so never going to happen for me. But as a former theater jock, uh, I do appreciate a good stage play, and this one was immaculately well put together. Uh, Ridiculously talented cast. Um, Great, uh, just all around. It is two hours and 40 minutes with an intermission. So just know when you hit play on Disney+, Plus, you're going to be there for a minute. and pay attention. And and what I was not ready for, uh, so we got three or four songs in. And yep. I was just like, we're 
we're not going to talk at all. This, we're just going to, okay, we're on like, we're, we're 20 minutes in and we're on like our eighth song. It's just going to, they, they can't keep this up for three hours. There's no, no, they can. They, they can. absolutely can. Uh, there's maybe a dozen lines of just dialogue in the entire play. Everything else is, everything is a song. Yeah, there's there's very few just spoken dialogue. And usually I tell people, because a lot of people ask me, because uh, I do like musicals and stuff, what's the difference between a musical and an opera? And up until I saw Hamilton, my, my go-to definition <laughs> has always been that a musical is something with, with spoken dialogue. Uh, and then, you know, the, the, the characters will break out into song and you'll have a song followed by regular dialogue and scene. Whereas anything that is operatic is all sung. It's all dialogue. Whereas this is damn near 100% sung, but I still don't consider it operatic. No, uh, but I did love. So Lin-Manuel Miranda gets credit as um, uh, music, lyrics, and book by. I'm like, yes, all 12 lines of straight dialogue. (laughs) Uh, So he gets credit for writing the book. Uh, which is your your script uh, yeah. in addition to your music and your lyrics? Which again, not not to take away from the amazing accomplishments accomplishments of Lin Manuel Miranda, but yeah, book. Yes, there's about twelve lines spoken yes. in the entire two hours and forty minutes. Yes. And if anyone doesn't recognize the name, because I, I wouldn't have known his name before this, there may be some some of our listeners out there who know him as the voice of Gizmo Duck in the new Ducktales. The thing that got me, um, Jonathan Graff, who plays uh, the uh, the king. Um, oh God, yes. Well, first of all, amazing performance. Second of all, Wonderful. every time he came out, I was like, I know him. Yes. I, where do I? It, it, yeah, he's in Mind Hunters. He's in on Netflix. So I never, because I was trying to think, like, okay, did what? What musical have I watched? What like? Because my mind goes to like, uh, you know, not necessarily the same character, but like that that skill set. Like what? What of? Because like Lin Manuel Miranda was also in Mary Poppins Returns, where he sings mm-hmm. and dances. So like, you know, it kind of puts me in that. So I, I finally got his name watching the credits. I was like, that okay, he's Jonathan Graff. What was he in? It was like, oh, he's the voice of Kristoff. I'm like, okay, that's not where I know him from because of that. It's it's the face. It's not the voice. It's the yeah. face that I yeah. recognize. Um, kept scrolling. I was like, "Oh, would never have pegged him as a musical theater guy." Okay, good to know. Um, uh, yeah, no, he does a phenomenal performance. The the actor that I love the fact that they reuse uh, cast members from yes. Act One to Act Two, and the actor that plays Lafayette and then Thomas Jefferson is brilliant because I love him yeah. as Thomas Jefferson. When he comes in as Thomas Jefferson, he's he's just great. Uh, oh, that I, entrance with Tom, uh, what, uh, what did I miss? Yeah, yes. a fantastic number. Yeah, it was a great song. Um, and uh, uh, the, um, oh, what was it? Anytime he and Hamilton basically are on opposite ends of an issue and they have the, 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 the their congressional debates and stuff, it's presented as rap battles. Yes, and, uh, David Diggs is the actor's name. Ah, okay, yeah. It was it was just a really really great way, and uh, have have you seen the article that talks about the bullet? Yes, about the 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 actress that's that's through it overall, and and Scott, her... I went through a very deep dive 
Oh uh, god! All the way to the bottom of the well. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that. I read that article today on the bullet. How the bullet is a character, and mm-hmm. and and her her blocking in throughout the the whole thing of where she's at, what she's doing, and who she's interacting with. Because uh, of course I didn't catch it when I watched it. Uh, there's another reason why I want to go back and watch it again because there's just so much subtlety and subtext. Yes. Yes. Uh, Definitely a lot you're going to miss the first time. Just because, again, I think anyone who's who doesn't already know what this is, anyone who comes in just knowing it's a musical, um, you're you're going to take the first ten to fifteen minutes just to get your head in the right space of, oh, okay, this is this is how we're doing this. Okay, yeah, Uh, yeah. That was you know uh, the wife and I we 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 watched it and I, I didn't know anything about it other than musical. That's all I knew and. Like you said, 15, maybe 20 minutes, you know, for me, I was like, what am I watching? It, it took me that long to, to adjust my perceptions of the information that was being thrown at me and, and, and how to keep up with it. Uh, yeah, and it to was, keep this nerdy, because we are taught nerdy to me, uh, the musical, historically, pretty good. Yeah, it's it's quite accurate. I, I had uh, I had my screens up while I was watching it and, and running through... Uh, uh, of course, numerous different entries on on Hamilton and in you know in events in his life and everything, and uh, they paraphrase some things for 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 timing and pacing, mm-hmm. of course. But as far as the major events and and everything, it is decently historically accurate. I don't I don't really know nothing egregiously uh, in error. Nothing. Yeah. That that he's like, oh no, they made that up, or or oh, they embellished that. Like it's 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 pretty pretty. Yeah, like I said, they they take a few liberties as far as uh, um, condensing time a little bit, and yeah. um, the normal things you do when you're adapting someone's life into a, a story. Yeah, because uh, you are trying to keep it concise. Yeah. yeah, pretty much his entire life, and the fact that they chose, or the fact that he chose, you know, Alexander Burr as the narrator of the story. Uh, to present all this information, uh, and it starts out with Alexander, or not Alexander, sorry, Aaron Burr. Aaron Burr. Yeah. Uh, uh, it starts out with Aaron Burr basically saying, "And who am I? I'm the guy that shot him." <laughs> yep. Okay. <laughs> yeah, love that. I love that movie. That that whole production and the way they presented it, it was was beautifully done, in my opinion. Sorry, I and didn't that mean was to just side topics. <laughs> Sorry, side quests because we're a nerdy show. Uh, that was our side quest into. We watched Hamilton this weekend, and you should too because it's really good. Uh, okay, yeah. no, that's fine. Uh, we were gonna hard shift gears. We're popping from second to fifth, uh, crunching gears a little bit. Uh, our next topic, and what will probably be the final topic for today. Uh, Coming off of of some current events, namely the Snyder Cut is a real thing now. Uh, it'll be on HBO sometime next year. It was a huge, huge fan movement to get the uh, Zack Snyder Cut of Justice League um, finished and put out, and it worked. the The, the fans showed the studio there's a demand for it. The studio now has its own streaming service and needs content for it, so bam, there we go. Well, that has emboldened fans and emboldened some directors. Uh, we now have campaigns for both the Ayer cut, 
being David Ayer, uh, the director of Suicide Squad, who claims that there is a a director's cut of Suicide Squad somewhere out there that we haven't seen. Um, I don't think people care as much about that because Suicide Squad is shit. Um, and this is what I really want to jump into. The Schumacher cut of Batman Forever. Apparently, there exists a 170-minute version of Batman Forever directed by Joel Schumacher. Uh, and, and sadly, we just lost Joel Schumacher uh, a few weeks ago. Um, as much as people may hate Batman and Robin, Joel Schumacher is an amazing director. Uh, Lost Boys is one of the greatest 80s. 80- these movies ever i still say batman forever is one of the best batman movies say what you will about batman and robin um he also did um time to kill uh no not time to kill uh shit see this is what happens when i don't have notes in front of me anyway joe schumacher fantastic filmmaker say what you will about uh uh batman oh uh um phantom of the opera <laughs> uh, the most recent film version was him uh but anyway yeah 170 minute version of that movie uh, that's almost three hours. Yes, I like Batman Forever. It, it, it is uh, a fun movie. Personally, I don't consider it uh, in the same series as the Keaton Batman. I know Michael Go is still Alfred, um, but it's just so different in tone that in my in my head canon it's just a whole different it's its own thing. I disagree. I think Batman eighty nine through Batman Forever actually makes a really nice trilogy. Uh because in Batman Forever you deal with Bruce dealing with his double identity and giving up being Batman and trying to pursue being a normal person, which is something Alfred's kind of been trying to get him to do since the first movie when he lets Vicky Vale in the Batcave. Um Hey, and hey, Batman Forever is as over the top as Jim Carrey and and uh, Tommy Lee Jones are as their villains. It's still not as ridiculously cartoony as Batman and Robin would go on. It still has some through lines <clears throat> uh, that carry over from the previous movies. And it still has, again, it's a lighter tone, but I wouldn't necessarily call it a, a you know, cartoony movie. I don't think it's as, it's, it's, Coming off of Batman Returns, Warner Brothers was going to make a lighter Batman because Batman Returns terrified kids. Uh, so I think Batman Forever, more often than not, un- unfairly gets lumped in with Batman and Robin. Where you know, if if Batman Forever was was lightening things up a bit, Batman and Robin was cranked that to eleven. Yeah, no, I I completely dislike Batman and Robin um, for a number of different reasons, but uh, that we won't go into here. But no, yeah. uh, Batman Forever, I I like. I can watch it. Um, uh, but another forty minutes of Bruce apparently after being shot, getting amnesia, and having an entire psychological battle between his two halves and confronting Batman. And the other, we've seen a little bit of that where he goes into a cave and has the vision of the bat and he comes out and uh, I think it's in the Blu-ray. He comes out of the cave and, and looks to Alfred and says, I'm Batman. Um, apparently there was like 40 some minutes of, of uh, a diker, diker, darker psychological uh, struggle for, for Bruce to come to grips with the two halves of his, his personality. Um, 
and especially in a movie that has Two-Face in it. Uh, I'm all for it. I want the Schumacher cut of Batman Forever. I'm down. The David Ayer cut of Suicide Squad, I could give two shits about. That movie was terrible. I don't see how more footage is going to save that movie. Um, Because that movie's already a hot mess. But Batman Forever, I can see where you would expand things on. So I'm I'm all for that. (laughs) But... That is the intro to our topic today, which is so now that there is this call for extended slash directors cuts of all these movies. And now that streaming services are a thing and then companies are looking for content. Let's crack open the vault and we're going to talk about uh, directors cuts or extended cuts of movies. We really want to see. Um, Scott, you want to go first? Well, I don't know. There, I, I I did some research on this because because directors cuts and things is not something I, I it doesn't get you know right into my my wheelhouse much. But um, as far as you know, knowing just off the top of my head what was out there and could be out there and didn't get released and whatnot. But I did some research and and I looked and apparently and, and this this one kind of stood out at me was uh, uh, Josh. Trank's Fantastic Four. <laughs> that is literally number one on my list. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll talk about it. Cause yeah, I remember, let's talk. Because I remember uh, seeing something. I watched the movie, of course, because I, I, I got to know. I did. I watched the movie. And like yep. the first act of that movie was, I'm like, okay, I can get behind this. And then some somehow it takes a hard left out of Realityville and just, just keeps going. Um, but... Uh, that is a re- movie that never gets out of its second act. It, well, I remember seeing an interview or something with some of the actors after, you know, the contractually obligated, uh, uh, whatever you call it, the, 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 where they have the promotional period of the movie was up and they could actually talk about things. Somebody made the comment that that's not the movie they shot. Well, back up. Literally. The day before the movie went to theaters, Josh Trank put out a tweet saying that the version that was going to be released is not the movie he made. Okay. I know uh, I saw it so for, for months leading up to the release, we heard rumors of how uh, um, tumultuous this shoot was. Uh, and they were uh, the actors were all called back for some fairly intensive reshoots, um, and that Josh Trank was being very erratic, and that he was either fired or he walked off set, and that somebody else directed all the reshoots uh, but wouldn't get credit for it. All kinds of rumors uh, spiraling out of control. Yeah, just 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 the worst kind of um, this is an out of control set, basically kind of rumors. Uh, and, and Josh Trank had only done Chronicle, which is a fantastic movie. If you've never seen it, uh, that movie Chronicles would got him this, and he wanted to go with a, a darker tone and a more science fiction kind of tone to the fantastic four, uh, which, which uh, Fox was all for at that time. So from the first trailer, uh, we saw some some pretty cool, interesting looking scenes, and it was a very different tone. And people were kind of maybe not excited, but I- interested. And then it all came to a head uh, with with that tweet. Uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe to date Josh Trank has not directed a movie since this. 
that I don't know. I'd have to look at. I, I think he's working on a project now, but he he derailed his own career by a good couple of years by essentially shit talking the studio and his own movie before it even hit theaters. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see his version of the movie. It can't be worse. It can't be. Oh my god! It, it, so there's there's stuff in the trailer that's nowhere in the movie because, yeah. and again, I'm not sure how intensive the reshoots were, uh, but because we know there's there's shots of Sue Storm where you can blatantly tell she's wearing a wig because the <laughs> actresses had 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 grown her hair out and they had to put her back in a wig, or, or uh, she had dyed it blonde and then dyed it back and then had to put a wig on. Like it's it's. It is such a mess. Like you said, the first act isn't bad. The first act, you're kind of there. You're kind of with it. And then the movie never shifts out of second act. It's stuck in like that, that, okay, okay. Is there going to be any kind of rising action to this story? We're just, and then literally they cram at three in the last 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, It was was like, you're watching act one and I'm like, okay, I, I don't know why everybody's trashing this. This is not bad. And then it shifts, it goes to act two, and I'm like, okay, so this is happening. This is still happening. I don't know where we're going with this. Why are we having this conversation? Oh, we're done now. And then, wait, that's it? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'm like, I I don't, I don't get it. Uh, Yeah. Again, it may be a total train wreck. Uh, for all I know, this could be the best version of, of all the footage we have, but there's that part of me that just wants to know. Like, I just, I want to know what was it? Uh, is Josh Trank, right? Did he have a a great, amazing movie that we'll never see? Um, I want to know. So yeah, that was definitely top of my list. And most of my picks are going to have that kind of theme in common of, of, I want to know what it could have been. Well, like I said. I don't think it could be worse. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing to look into because it's, it's in the same way that the production of alien three is immensely interesting to look up just because it is a complete shitstorm of how not to make a movie. Uh, fan, fan stick, uh, which is what the fans call it. Uh, is another really interesting production to take a look at. And granted, there's a lot of rumor out there. Uh, we're finally getting sort of confirmation on some of these things because I, I think some of these NDAs are starting to run out um, where people can start talking openly about Yeah, like uh, how this Bob, went. But for a while, I mean, there was even... There was, I was going to say, like, like, like Bob Hoskins did when his NDA ran out on uh, Mario Brothers. <laughs> yeah, him and John Leguizamo. Um, <laughs> I forgot where I was going now. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so anyway, you're, there's you're, a lot yeah. of rumor around there, but how this movie ended up <clears throat> being what it is. Like there was at one point there was a photo shoot with the cast of this movie and the 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 current cast of X Men because Fox was going to try to bridge those two universes together to take on Marvel. Obviously, that, that didn't happen, <clears throat> but at one point. That's how much faith we were to put into this new movie uh, that it was going to be on par with the X-Men movies. And I guess it was because there's some terrible X-Men movies out there, but there are, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, if 
uh, I guess Hulu it would be, uh, decides to put out the Josh Trank cut of Fan Stick, I'd, I'd watch it. I would too, in a heartbeat. Yeah. Well, then my next pick is another, uh, again, this made, it's terrible, it's not great, but I want to know what it could have been. Uh, 2011, we got a prequel to one of the greatest movies ever made, John Carpenter's The Thing. Um, very cleverly titled The Thing. <clears throat> not to make that confusing at all. Uh, no, you're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so it tells the story of what happened at the Norwegian camp before the events of John Carpenter's film take place. <clears throat> Excuse me, which I thought was a clever idea to make a sort of sequel to John Carpenter's The Thing without literally rehashing it all again. Uh, what I really want to see, when it was in production, they hired um, ADI, Amalgamated Dynamics Incorporated, a physical, practical makeup effects house run by Alec Gillis and Tom Woodruff Jr., guys who cut their teeth under Roger Corman and then Stan Winston and then went on to form their own studio. They did most of the alien movies. <clears throat> um, uh, I think they did at least one of the Predator movies. I think they did AVP, uh, which movies aside, their their makeup and their uh, creature effects have never been the, the, the thing to bring down a movie. They were hired to do all the practical effects on set because carpenters the thing is sort of like the holy grail of practical effects makeup effects and and you know uh you know latex and servos and and, and things like that stuff you can do for real on the set in camera no cgi cgi wasn't even a thing yet um the thing john carpenter's 86 movie is is like the 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 standard the gold standard for practical effects because they're amazing um, they're not hidden in shadow like other movies try to do. They're front and center, and they're fantastic. So knowing that they're making a, a prequel to that, uh, the director and the producers knew, okay, we've got we've to follow that. People are going to be expecting that. So they went out and hired some of the best guys in the business to do all these practical effects, and they shot the entire movie with all these practical effects. And then in post, the studio decided to replace all the practical effects with CGI without adjusting the release date of the movie. So now you're replacing some of the best practical effects in the business with not just CGI, but hurried, rushed CGI. So I would love to see a cut of the 2011 The Thing with the original practical effects because the CGI is passable to god-awful. I did not see it, so I can't comment. I don't know. Not a bad movie. It's a fun companion piece. If you like The Thing, but you don't want to rewatch The Thing, uh, you can watch The Thing. Everybody follow? Anybody confused? Everybody good? No, uh, never has a movie so needed a subtitle. Uh, if you don't want to watch the '86 version, but you want you know you want something different, again, it's different characters. You know where it's going to end, <clears throat> uh, and they do tie. I mean, you could literally watch this movie and then put in John Carpenter's; they would sync up very, uh, very well. 
Um, it, it's a period movie, so it's set in that same eighties time period. Uh, but it's it's new characters, uh, new characters, same situation, and we we do get to see a bit more of the thing and the saucer and stuff like that. It's a cool companion piece, but so the only, no, go ahead, sir. Sorry, the only question I have is. Was a digitally de-aged Wilfred Brimley in it? No. Well, then I'm I'm out. I'm done. Sure. Sorry. Uh, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, it's it's again. It does not surpass the 1986 movie because nothing ever could. But I think it's 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 not terrible if they would have left in the practical effects. It, it, the, uh, ADI was so pissed that their work got covered over by CGI that they went out and basically. Uh, um, funded their own movie. I should have looked up what it's called because I always forget. Hold on. Uh, the object. No, it's not that bad. No, oh, okay. Oh, uh, Starship Troopers is the other movie. I don't. Uh, okay, hold on. Uh, talked about it on the show before, but I was forget what it's called Harbinger Down. Sorry, uh, they went out and funded their own movie called Harbinger Down, uh, which is very similar to the thing. Um, in 2015, uh, starring their good buddy Lance Henriksen. Uh, it, it was done basically just as a giant middle finger to the studio of uh, all the effects are practical, obviously, because it was them making it uh, just to show, hey, look, this is how awesome we can do. And you wanted to cover it with CGI. So here's a middle finger to you. Uh, so if you enjoyed the thing, watch the 2011 The Thing and then go watch Harbinger Down and see what we could have gotten. So there you go. All right. So I got. What do you got for me, Scott? Well, I only really have one more uh, that I saw that that just really piqued my interest. And and, and I I didn't even think about it until it showed up in my research. Um, I like the actual movie that was released. I like it a lot. I think it's a bad rap. Um, But I would really love to see the original director's director's cut of. uh, solo. Uh, this is Swear to God, you're reading my notes. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, I don't. I don't know what you know. All all I know about the thing was, uh, I, I guess, with just a few weeks left in production, uh, Lucasfilm saw, uh, I guess, a work print and said, "We don't like any of this," um, and we want you to make changes. And they refused, and they were booted. And Ron Howard was brought in. And it ended up reshooting like most of the damn movie, um, but I would love to see their their actual print, their 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 actual copy, what they were wanting to see. Not that I dislike <laughs> the current one; I do like it. I like I said, I think it gets a it gets a bad rap, but, but I'd love to see what they were doing. Uh, I'm right there with you. I I really enjoy Ron Solo. I think uh, it unfairly gets hated on, uh, but it's a fun Star Wars movie. Uh, but yeah, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, the guys behind the Lego movie, and they went on to do um, uh, Spider-Man Edge of the Spider-Verse. Uh, great, great filmmakers. 
Uh, they were brought in to do this. They did everything from finalizing the script, hiring the cast, shot uh, most of like three fourths of the movie was in the can uh, before they were told. Uh, basically, and I don't know again, and I'm not sure how much this is true, but the story that was uh, at the time was theirs was too comedic. Uh, it, it was, it was, I guess, too funny. It wasn't taking itself seriously enough for Lucasfilm, and they didn't want something that jokey. So they wanted reshoots and Lord Miller to their credits, stuck to their guns and said, no, you hired us to make this movie. You saw our script. You saw who we hired. You knew what we were doing and we're not changing it. <clears throat> so they were fired or quit or whatever. Uh, and then uh, DGA guidelines, when they brought in Ron Howard to have his name on the film, Ron Howard has to shoot 75% of it. So they reshot the whole movie uh, at a final price tag. Of something like $350 million because they had to shoot the movie twice. Yeah. Um, and again, I love Solo as it is. I think it's a great movie. But you can't help but wonder with with <clears throat> Ron Howard and Lord and Miller are such different styles of directing. Can't help but wonder what would that have looked like. Uh, and, and maybe, maybe it was too, you know, over the top with the comedy and, and maybe it would have been terrible. I don't know. But I mean, every time I hear that over the top with the comedy, uh, I just get in my head. I get like uh, a scene of you know, so of Han and Chewie, and you know the the other characters all running around Benny Hill style or something. You know. Well, I think it probably was more like uh, this is another movie I. It's got flaws. Thor Ragnarok was a great tone shift for the character of Thor. And I love Taika Waititi and his directing, but that movie refuses to ever let itself have a serious moment. Anytime something edges on being a serious dramatic moment, we undercut it with a joke. Every single time we undercut it with a joke. And yeah, while we feel repetitive after a while. Though. Yeah. Uh, well, that gets, uh, you know, that, that plays with audiences and people enjoy it. And, and for the most part, I really enjoy Thor Ragnarok. Um, but there's at least a handful of moments that like, okay, cut the joke out. Like, just let the moment be. Uh, and I think that's maybe what, so again, this is just purely speculation on my part. I think that's what they're getting at with the two comedic is, is that every line's got a joke. Everything has a, you know, we can't just let a moment play out and be a moment. Maybe, I don't know. You got me. Well, my last one is a quick one, uh, and it's super nerdy, so it's a way to end it. Um, as a kid in the 90s, there were a few franchises I was a fan of more so than the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. And I could not wait to go see Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie, when it came out in theaters. Uh, that being said, I, I enjoy the movie. I still own it. It's a fun movie. Better than the one from 2017 or whatever. Uh, talk about taking your subject matter way too seriously. Um, <laughs> but being me, uh, I had to study the entire production of the movie to figure out what all happened with this shoot. Uh, and here's some fun trivia. I really want to see what I'm going to call <laughs> the two Dulcea cut. There's a character in the movie called Dulcea, 
she comes in in act two when the rangers have lost their powers and they've gone to this planet to try to find a new power source to go back and save angel grove in the world um we meet this character dulcea who used to pal around with zordon back in the day she's a super badass amazonian kind of warrior lady um scantily clad which always helps um she becomes basically for the second act of the movie the ranger's new mentor while zordon's problem is she's in the movie for about 10 minutes uh and one of the things i dislike about the movie now is is the rangers basically show up fight some rocks get their new powers uh it, it doesn't feel quite as epic as i think they wanted it to uh and it's for a reason the entire second act of the movie basically got cut out of the movie. What happened was the original actress, uh, Gabrielle Fitzpatrick, was cast and had started shooting and then found out she had an ovarian cyst. So she left to go get medical treatment and they hired a new actress. This new actress was uh, with the production from November of 94 till late December 94. This actress, fun fact, Mirska Hargitay from Law and Order SVU. Uh, she filmed for several weeks, including all of the um, training montage where the Rangers learn about Ninjetti and get their new cool costumes and start to train and 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 uh, learn how to use the abilities they'll use later in the movie that look really out of place later in the movie because you're like, oh, I didn't know Tommy could fly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they addressed that in the original script. Um, and then them talking about what life is like back home and worrying about their friends and their parents and like, you know, being fleshed out characters. Um, so they shot all that with Mariska Hargitay. Again, then they looked at dailies and decided she was too young. So she went home for Christmas and was never called back. Uh, the original actress, Gabrielle Fitzpatrick had gone through surgery and came out fine. So she was hired back. They never reshot the Act 2 stuff. Uh, the production had gone way over time and way over budget. They were they just never got around to refilming any of that montage stuff. So we get the movie we have now. Uh, we're, we're, <laughs> don't say it's not in it very much. Um, and a lot of things feel out of place. But I would love that footage exists. Uh, as recently as last year, Mariska Hargitay was on a late night show. And they flat out asked her about the Power Ranger stuff, and they pulled out stills of her on set in costume. So the footage is there. Someone's got it. You know, the Fox vaults or whatever, it's there. Um, so I don't care. Put a disclaimer at the front of the movie saying uh, the this character was portrayed by two different characters. So you will see uh, from from scene to scene the character may be played by different actresses, and then just play the movie. But I really want to see this movie as it was originally written. Uh, uh, even if we have two different actresses playing the same character. So that's my last nerdy pick. You know, I don't think I ever saw the the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie. Because um, keep in mind, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers premiered, like actually, you know, started on American TV with mm-hmm. however the hell they intersplice the American people with the Japanese footage and everything, you know, when I was a sophomore in high school, 1993. Yeah. Um, 
it was yeah. So I think the, my ninety three, ninety four sophomore year in high school is is when that was on. Uh, and so I watched it, even though I was in high school, and it was it was targeted for a younger audience because I'm I was and still am a huge nerd. Um, but you know, ninety five, of course, my senior year. Um, uh, I don't think I ever went to see it because uh, I, I think I only watched. I never followed it. I only watched it like if I caught it on, I would watch it. And stuff. Well, so, uh, the movie is very. It's not canon to the show at all. Oh, okay. Um, so you can pop the movie in, and you'll get enough background to just jump in and watch the story, such as it is. Um, again, it's one of those. If you're a fan of Power Rangers, or if you're a fan of uh, horror shows of a movie production, do some digging in to how this movie got shot. Um, it ran so over time that they literally moved the entire production of the show to Australia the movie was being shot and those poor actors were shooting the movie and season three or four of the TV show at the same time. Wow. Yeah. Um, It's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, So I will have to let you borrow the movie. It's fun. It's, you know, it's harmless, but uh, yeah, 93 hours in third grade. And I was the target demographic for this. And man, did they get well? Not my money. They sure got my parents' money. <laughs> uh, a lot of my parents went. They're getting my money now, but um... well, I remember when I was watching the show. I always, you know, Billy was always my favorite because he was the tech head. Mm-hmm. He was the 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 geeky nerdy one, and you know, so I loved Billy. Billy was great, um, and uh, I remember the story, uh, and I actually liked the story somewhat. Uh, where they, where they bring. Uh, uh, Tommy in, you know, the which green, time the, the Green Ranger? Okay, when, when, the, green, when the Green Ranger came in, yeah, when he yeah. was first introduced. Um, so they bring Tommy in, and I remember watching this, and you know, the Green Ranger shows up, blah blah blah, and they're they're all trying to figure out who this new Green Ranger is because he's evil at the beginning, and blah blah blah. And then Tommy shows up, and I'm like, what? He, he's he's the only other person wearing green. <laughs> he's the only other person who gets dialogue. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's the confusion? <laughs> they handled it slightly better when they brought the white Ranger in and that they introduced a bunch of new characters as pure red herrings. Uh, and you know, they're red herrings because as soon as we find out, Tommy was the white Ranger, the, uh, the white Ranger. Yeah. Uh, those characters are never fucking seen again. Uh, like they were just there to throw a suspicion of maybe, uh, maybe it was Ricky, I think was one of the guy's names. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, look, look yeah. it's, it's, it's free for the audacity of what the show was. Um, kudos to them. And, uh, it's definitely one of those things where I'm, I loved it as a kid. I still love it now, but I can't watch more than like three or four episodes oh, yeah. in a row now. Uh, where it's just, just okay. I got I got now. I got to stop and yeah. catch to something else. Um, just because it's it's super cheesy, uh, and it's super repetitive. Yep. Um, and, and every there's, episode. Uh, yep. In, in every season, there's maybe ten episodes, twelve that are like legit. You know, lore heavy. Like you got to watch this. It really it changed the show going forward. Um, and I'm, I'm not trying to make this whole diatribe about Power Rangers, but um. I love Power Rangers. I really want to see 
the full version. Uh, and look, Power Rangers is still a brand making money. It's been on the air for almost 30 years now. Um, in America, even. Uh, like 50, almost 60 years in Japan now. So there's yeah. an audience for it. Uh, people will buy this movie. As much as you know, if we'll buy the Richard Donner cut of Superman 2, that again uses footage from the screen test for Chris Reeves and um, Margot Kidder because they never got around to actually filming those scenes for the movie. So they literally, you're watching the movie and then bam, there's this footage where like nothing quite matches up. The hair and costuming is different. Um, it's a screen test spliced into a movie. Okay, fine. They put a disclaimer at the beginning saying some of the scenes are are not, you know, we're not filmed for the production, so things aren't going to look right. Here you go. Watch the movie. Do the same thing with Power Rangers. Just put a disclaimer up saying the film was shot with two different actresses, so we're using footage from both. The character of Dilseo will be played by two different actresses. There it is. Get over it. Watch the movie. People yeah. will buy it. People, People will, will buy especially, it. you know, give uh, another couple of years and we'll be coming up on the... 30th anniversary of Power Rangers in 2023. Bam. Put it out. Uh, yeah. I agree. That's all I got. Cool. All right. So let us know what directors or extended cuts uh, we didn't talk about that we should and that you want to see. Do you want to see the David Ayer cut with more Jared Leto Joker? No. No. Nobody does. No. no. Uh, uh, and then let us know uh, what board games are you excited for coming out and uh did you like hamilton as much as we did uh scott thanks for joining thank you you at home thanks for listening and uh we're out of here how does a bastard orphan son of a whore and a scotsman dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the caribbean by providence and pulverous waller grow up to be a hero and a scholar a ten dollar founding father without a father got a lot Trading charter, Alexander Hamilton. My name is Alexander Hamilton, and there's a million things I have.